Father, we praise you. You are the one who is worthy of worship. Jesus, we praise you too. God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we praise you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and you want us to walk with you. And we pray that you would strengthen us even now as we open up your word and look into what you have for us. Strengthen us to live rightly for you in the new life that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the least enjoyable place that you have ever lived in? Now, some of you have lived in Wisconsin, so... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I lived there for four years. I actually enjoyed my time there more than I thought I would. Uh, But what's what's the least enjoyable place that you have lived in? Uh, for me, I think about one place in particular. It's actually, in hindsight, it's a place that I am really glad that I lived. Uh, I spent about one year of my life living in Turkey, and, and I just learned so many wonderful, valuable lessons there. But had you asked me at the time, I might have said things like, boy, it's really hard to live here. Uh, and especially, I've said this before here, but the food, it was just really hard. To, it was like this three times a day reminder that I was not home. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't like the milk or the cheese there, and if you know me well, you know, I love milk. Uh, I have cereal morning and evening. Um, I'm just kind of one of those guys, and it was just really difficult to find enough things that I like. Of course, I found some things that I like, but then I started to think, well, I can't just eat that every day, you know, three times a day. And, and there were other things, too, about living there, but uh, as I was living there, I was just thinking, boy, you know, I long for something else. Well, let's, let's take it up like ten notches here. And, and let's picture yourself living in one of these towns in the Middle East right now that's under terrorist attack. Um, there, there's a couple of those cities right now. Uh, imagine living there and knowing that your very life is in danger in that city. But I want you to imagine that you had a relative in, in, a, in a nearby country, let's say, that said, you can come and live with me. Leave your home. It's not safe for you to live there. You can come and live with me. Now, I can imagine for the people who live in a town like that that uh, there's a lot of emotions running around. And and one of those emotions might be, even though it's dangerous to live there, there there might still be this sense of, but it's my home. I know the people here. I know how to live here. And I don't really want to leave. But on the other hand, and hopefully they would hear this, the much stronger argument of, well, I don't just want to die here. And hopefully they would take up that relative on their offer to go and live there. Let me use another illustration. This one comes from a famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He talks about two fields. So I want you to picture two fields right next to each other, and and both of those fields are surrounded by stone walls. So they're they're big enough that you can't really see what's going on there, but they're right next to each other. And the way this analogy goes is that every single one of us was born into one field, and the number one characteristic about that field is that we sin there. Every one of us, like I've said in my recent sermons, was born with a sinful nature, and it's not just that we have this nature in us, it's that we also chose to sin as our way of life. So we were born into that field. But the way this analogy goes, God in his mercy picks us out of there. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he picks us out of that field and puts us into a new field where there is a new way of life, where we have a relationship with God, where he fills us with the Holy Spirit. Now, the interesting thing about this analogy, as it goes on, is that these fields are right next to each other. And even if you're living in that new field, you can still hear what's going on in the other field. You can still hear maybe some familiar voices over there. 
You can still hear some things going on over there that you used to do, and you could even, even though you live in the new field, you could still do those things that you used to do in the old field, those sinful things. I think that's a helpful analogy of the Christian life. Um, and we're going to talk about the new life that we have and the new life that we're supposed to live today in, in that new field. So we're looking at Romans. We're in chapter 6. We're doing a sermon series here where we're going through chapters 1 through 8. And we've come to chapter 6 now. Now, so far in Romans, we've been talking about the gospel. And we're going to continue to talk about the gospel. The gospel is the message of how we were sinners in need of a Savior. But remember, the gospel doesn't end the moment we receive Jesus Christ. The gospel continues to be good news for us as we continue on in this new life. So... Um, I was thinking about this. One of the reasons, at least for me, one of the reasons you would preach through Romans is because of this passage that we're going to look at today. I love this passage. It talks about our new life in Christ. And again, the gospel message that God has brought to us, it continues to be good news long after we received Jesus Christ. So we're going to study Romans 6, 1 through 14 today. And first what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the entire passage and just address one question, and then we'll walk through it kind of verse by verse. Okay, so Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, before I walk through this passage, I want to address one question that I think is important to ask uh, before we look at it in, a, in smaller detail, in detail. The question is this. Does this passage talk about our new life in heaven, or does it talk about our new life now? You could look at verses like verse 5 and verse 8 and it says we will be united with him and we will live with him. Those are future tense verbs and, and maybe you could say those are talking about the life that we will have in heaven later. And, and certainly it's true that those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we do have a wonderful future to look forward to later. But for several reasons, and I'll get to those as I, I walk through the passage, I don't think that Romans 6 is just talking about the benefits of heaven. I think it's also talking about the benefits of a new life now. So my answer to the question is, it's one of my favorite Bible answers, it's both. Both about now and later. And here's my big idea then for today. Because Christ is alive, we have new life. 
For anyone who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have new life. Christ is alive, right? We know that. He was dead, but three days later, he rose again. And because Christ is alive, we also have new life. Okay, so let's walk through the passage now. And as I walk through it, I just want to reread Scripture. And one of the reasons I do that is because I think that Scripture has better things to say than I do. So if I'm going to repeat Scripture, I don't think that's a problem. I think uh, it's more useful than just hearing what I have to say. So, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This passage starts out by answering a, a potential question that someone might have had after hearing chapter 5. So let me just reread for you one of the last verses of chapter 5. It says, um, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So someone might hear that and say, Well, hey, if God sees sin and he just pours out more grace, then maybe I should just keep on sinning. If God likes to give grace to sinners, then maybe it's for his glory if I keep on sinning so that he can keep on pouring out grace on me. Well, Paul basically answers the question by saying, how could we live that way? If we gave our lives to Christ, how could we now live for sin? It, it just does not make any sense to think of it. To come to Jesus Christ is to recognize that we are sinners, that we need to be rescued, that we were on a path that led to death and God mercifully picked us out and brought us into life, why should we go now and live according to that old way? It's not congruent with a life given to Christ. We all chose a path that led to death, but fortunately Jesus rescued us. And one of the things we should do then in gratitude is to live a life of following Jesus, not following sin. <coughs> So don't come up with some twisted idea. And I don't, you know, I don't know that we see this or hear this from too many people, but maybe somebody would get this twisted idea that the more that I sin, the more grace God pours out. No. God receives more glory when we follow him according to his ways. Yes, he loves to show grace to sinners, but he loves it even more, I think, when we choose to follow him. Okay. Um, instead of living in sin, we, can, we should consider ourselves dead to sin. Now, the word death is an interesting word. And I think that we all kind of assume that we understand what it means. If you were to go up to some random person on the street and ask them, what does death mean? They might say, well, it means an end, right? Um, death feels so final sometimes. But that's actually not what death is. And really, I think it would be more accurate to say that death is a change of address. The Bible tells us that we will continue forever, every single one of us. Either we will continue with God forever or apart from him, but we will continue forever. So our death, our physical death, is not an end. It's actually a change of address. And, and using that, that field with stone walls analogy, uh, our, our death simply means that we were taken out of one field and placed into another, into new life. That we died to that old way of life and we have a new life to live. That's what death is. So when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were set on a different path. So in what might feel ironic to hear, even though we died, we still live. And that's actually the way that the Bible consistently speaks of it. And to show you that, I want to show you three other quick passages from the Bible that talk about death as really not being an end at all. Galatians 2.20 
Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Are you following the logic? You died, but Christ is your life. And then one more, 1 Peter 2.24. He, Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So you see, the Christian life means we die to sin, die to our old way of life. We receive Jesus and we receive new life. And we are to continue on in that new life. Let's go on to verses 3 through 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, theologians disagree on whether these verses are talking about water baptism or baptism in the Holy Spirit. But whatever you believe on that, and I'm not going to get into it. If you want to have a discussion with me on that later, you sure can. Um, but pretty much everybody agrees that verses 3 and 4 are talking about conversion. Um, so that even if it's talking about water baptism, it's not just talking about the physical act of water baptism, it's talking about the whole conversion process um, up through the point of, of water baptism. But here's a couple of theologians on this. Doug Moo says, Baptism stands for the whole conversion experience. And then John Stott says, baptism signifies our union with Christ, and especially, he says, with his death and resurrection. So when it talks about baptism here, it's talking about the fact that, uh, that by faith in Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins, we can receive new life, and, and following that, we should be water baptized. But you look at all of that, and you look at it as a, a, a sign that we have new life in Christ. New life in Christ. We were baptized into the death of Jesus, we have new life with Jesus. And following that, we were, we were raised with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have new lives to live. So let me just make the gospel message really clear again. If you want new life, you have to have Jesus. There's no other way for new life. I, I hope you know that. If you don't know it, let me just say real quickly, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And the response that God wants us to make is that we are to give our lives to him by faith, saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that these choices that I made actually led to death. And we are to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who takes away our sins, and also as our Lord, meaning that we commit to follow him. The gospel message. And when we do that, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit strengthens us to live the life that God now wants us to live. And let me just add one more point here. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, but have not yet been water baptized, you should do that. It's, it, in the Bible, you know, all arguments aside, what's clear is that those who have received Jesus Christ should be water baptized. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, come and talk to me. We'll figure out, out how to do it. Even though it's cold outside, we'll, we'll figure out a place to baptize you. It's a step of faith that we should all take. Okay, very quickly, let me give two points, points of application here. First, we died to sin, meaning that we should no longer live in it. 
Meaning that we should be talking to God and saying things like, God, show me my sins so that I don't live according to those old ways. And then second, very similarly, we have a new life to live. So in this, in this analogy of two fields with stone walls, the idea is we live in this new life, but we're not supposed to live so close to that other field that we, you know, what's going on there? What, what, you know, that we keep on being tempted by that. We're supposed to live as far away from that as we can in this new life that God has for us. So we should be asking God, God, what should my new life look like? What kind of things do you want me to do in this new life so that I can honor you? And I think that life sounds refreshing. I think that life where we actually live the life that God wants us to live, that sounds like a full life to me. Think about the newness of life that God can bring. It, it kind of reminded me of spring, and I know that fall is kind of a bummer of a time to talk about spring, but I love spring. I love the newness of life, the smell of it. God wants to bring about that newness of life in us continually. And our part is to seek him, to flee from sin and to seek God and the life he has for us. Okay, let's move on. Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, this is one of those verses which at first glance might only appear to be talking about heaven. You see the word resurrection and maybe we think, yeah, the Bible promises that we will have resurrection bodies in heaven. But I want to point out one little word in here. It's the word his. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Jesus is already resurrected. Jesus died and rose from the dead and now reigns in heaven. And and through our conversion, we are united not only with his death, but also with his life. That means that we have a new life to live now. Ephesians talks about the, the power at work within us, which is like the power that God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How much power was that? That's the kind of power that is at work in us, in our lives right now, because we are connected, we are united to Christ in his resurrection. His death is our death. His life is our life. It's, it's really an amazing thought. See, the Christian life is not just about receiving Jesus Christ at one moment and then waiting until heaven comes for the really great stuff. There is really great stuff in heaven, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love heaven as much or maybe even more than the next guy. One of the favorite sermon series I ever gave, for me, was a sermon series I gave on heaven. So I am looking forward to heaven. I think about it pretty much every day. But I also know that God wants to fill us with an abundant life now. So he unites us to Jesus' resurrection now. And it's an amazing thought. Verses 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So again here we see that we're, we're dead to sin. And don't misunderstand death. It, it doesn't mean that we're incapable of sinning. Many people have stretched this analogy way too far and they say, well, a dead person can't do anything, so if I'm dead to sin, that means that I can't sin. No, that's not the way it goes, and we know that from personal experience. What what dead to sin really means is a new address. We don't have to live for sin anymore. We've been set free from it. We have a new life to live, and we are free to live for Christ. We don't have to be slaves to sin, and we'll talk a lot about that next Sunday. Uh, It brings back that slave language. 
We don't have to be slaves to sin. We have been set free. It, it might be helpful for you to notice there's an alternate translation. Many of your Bibles might have this in verse 6. In the NIV, it translates it, uh, that the body of sin might be done away with, but if you see your little footnote, it says, or the body of sin might be rendered powerless. And I think that that's probably a better translation. So you think about what Jesus did for us. He, he set us free, of course, from the penalty of sin, meaning that, that we don't have to die for our sins. If, if Jesus is our Savior, his death paid for our sins. But also Jesus set us free from the power of sin, meaning that we don't have to live for it anymore. Last passage compared Adam and Jesus, and we followed Adam and his pattern of life, but we don't have to do that anymore. We can follow Jesus now and his pattern of life. We're set free from sin. And the word for set in, in verse 7 for freed is really the word for justified. It's that really important word in Romans that means that we have been declared righteous. It's like a trial setting, and the final verdict for us who have received Jesus is that we are declared righteous. It's been interesting to me. Uh, I kind of, uh, I, I like watching news, and every once in a while, some, uh, a trial dominates the news. And I'm thinking about two of them specifically over the last 20 years. There was the O.J. Simpson trial. Anybody, anybody get caught up in watching that one? Uh, and then more recently, there was the Casey Anthony trial down in Florida. And, and both of these cases, it's like, we're pretty sure that they committed the crime, but there's this like, long, drawn-out trial. And in both of those cases, they were declared not guilty. Now, I was thinking about this, thought, maybe that's a bad analogy to use, because it actually kind of looks like they might have actually committed the crime that they were declared not guilty of. But, but the reason I use it, uh, there's a stunning thing that happens when somebody is declared not guilty. You think of somebody going into the courtroom on that last day and the, the sentence is going to be given. And they go in there with like an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs. And they're just waiting for the judge to tell them the verdict. And when that verdict comes in not guilty, the bailiff comes over, undoes the handcuffs, and says, you're free to go. You are as free as anybody else to go. And it's like just this stunning thought. Like, I thought they were going to go to jail and now they're as free as anybody. And then I thought... You know, I used uh, the illustration of two people who may have actually committed the crime that they were declared not guilty of. And I thought, you know what? Actually, in many ways, that is us. Because it's not that we were sinless. We actually committed the crimes that, that could have sent us, sent us to hell forever. But because of what Jesus did for us, we are declared not guilty. And then what happens? We are set free. Set free to live a new life. We don't have to go back to sin. We have a new life to live, a new life in which we are free. And, and as Christine, my wife, likes to say, we're free to live for Jesus. I, I love that thought. We're free to live for Jesus. Not just free to do whatever we want, but to live the life that God wants us to live. Let's move on to verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Okay, another one of these verses here that might appear to be talking about our future life in heaven, but again, I think it's talking about now. It talks about our death with Christ. If, if we receive Jesus, his death is our death. That already happened. We already died with him. It's not that we have to wait physically to die until that happens. No, we, we died with him now. Similarly, the life with him happens now. 
And let me show you one other verse in the Bible that mentions this, John 17:3. This is where Jesus is praying to the Father and his disciples are listening to him pray. And Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So let me ask you this. When can we know God? Now. Jesus said, eternal life is knowing God, knowing the Son. When can we know God? Now. We have a new life to live right now with Jesus Christ. It consists in knowing Him and getting to know Him more and more. Okay, verses 9 and 10. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus Christ defeated death. He will not die again. He reigns forever as Lord. And that is terrific news. Now funerals are sad, right? We all know that. Funerals are sad because we see that person who has died and we, it feels like an end. It feels like we will never see that person again. But in Jesus Christ, death is something very different. He died once and he can no longer die again. And in him, we have new life to live that lasts for eternity. Because Jesus Christ is alive, we have new lives to live and death has lost its power in that sense. Jesus died to sin, but now he continues to live for God. When he lived on this earth, he set an example for us of how we can live for God, and it says here that he continues to live for God. And that is our example. And that's exactly what it goes on to say in verse 11, which I think is one of the most important verses in Romans. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think that this, so far, is what I'm picking out as the second uh, key verse in Romans. The first key verse is Romans 1.17, which says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So that's the gospel, the good news, that God revealed himself, that he wants us to know him, and that by putting faith in Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous. That is the good news of the gospel message. But I love 6.11 so much in that it, it kind of tells us more of this good news that we have new life in Christ. And it starts out by saying, in the same way. I think that's amazing. In the same way, like verse 10 said, that Jesus is dead to sin, but alive to God, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Now let me ask you a question. To what degree, what percentage, would you say that Jesus considers himself dead to sin but alive to God? Like 70 maybe? No, there's no doubt about it. 100%. Jesus is dead to sin but alive to God. In the same way, in the same way that Jesus is dead but alive, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. That old life, that life that we all live, that life where we, we, we went our own way, a path that led to death, we're dead to that. We have a new life to live in which we are alive to God. We have been set free so that we can live this life for Him and with Him. There's a command in here. Count yourselves. Consider yourselves dead to sin. It means that we are to look at our lives, we're to look at the temptations that come in our lives, and to recognize them for what they are. 
part of that old life. When temptation comes, we're supposed to say, no way. I remember that. That is not part of my new life in Christ. Instead, we are to seek God and say, God, I'm alive to you. What kind of life do you want me to live? This is a command. It's a present tense command, which means that we are to continually do this. We are to continually consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And everything that we do, dead to sin, alive to God. So one thing we can do is we can pray. Um, One of the prayers that I like to pray is, God, show me my sin so that I can flee from it. If you're unsure about something, whether it's a sin or not, ask God. And just in your heart of hearts, say, God, I'm going to consider myself alive to you and dead to sin. We need to keep on seeking him. Getting getting back to the analogy I started off with, living in Turkey, uh, I knew that I was going to be living there for about a year. And I knew that I had to figure out how to live there. And and it was really hard. Um, Things like the food, which I already mentioned, but even things like paying bills. Um, Fortunately, I I was living there with a, a Turkish roommate who was a Christian. And I remember the first time the electric bill came around, he was trying to explain to me how to pay it. And he said, you've got to go walk to this one place, you know, turn here, turn there, turn there, and it's this little building, there's a window, and you got to... And I just kind of looked at him like, what? Uh, would you just do that, please? <laughs> and I think he thought it was easier to just do it instead of explain it to me, so he did it. But I couldn't imagine what it would have been like to figure that out. Although many people, that's exactly what they have to do. They have to figure things like that out. Or, or figuring out transportation. There are buses just crisscrossing all over the city and, and they're yelling things in Turkish. And like, I don't understand that, but I think I'm supposed to get on this bus and I'll end up where I'm supposed to go. Or even the language itself. Um, you hear all these people around you talking in a very different language. And if you want to eat, you kind of have to learn what they're saying. <laughs> Or if you want to eat something that's any good, you have to learn what they're saying. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that all, all of those things took effort. I knew that my life was going to consist of these things and that I was better off learning how to do them. That's, that's like the new life we have in Christ. We're, we're not to live for sin anymore. We spend too much of our lives living that way. We're to live for Christ. We're to seek Him and say, okay, what does this new life look like? And then we hear things, what it looks like. God tells us things like we should pray. He tells us things like we should be getting to know Him through His Word. And and that we should keep on meeting together with other believers who are seeking God. And all of these things become part of our new life and they might feel a little bit awkward for you. Well, I can assure you, uh, speaking broken Turkish and trying to figure out where I was going in a strange city felt awkward to me, but you learn how to do it. And, and through doing it more and more, you, you learn more and more how to do it. We have a new life to live in Christ. We are to seek Him and to live according to His ways. And then going on to verses 12 through 14, I want to read them again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Don't let sin reign. Sin doesn't reign, so don't let it reign. There's no need for us to let sin reign. And these verses are very practical. It tells us not to let our bodies do certain things. It says don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. And that word instrument could also be translated as weapons. I, I, 
I thought that was kind of cool. Um, don't offer the parts of your body as weapons for sin. Think about it. If I'm offering my body as weapons for sin, who am I fighting against? It's a terrifying thought. Instead, we are to offer the parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness, saying to God, God, I want to do what's right. And not only that, but God, I want to offer myself to you for your kingdom's purposes so that you can use me to help other people recognize that they might be dead in sin, but that they can have new life in Christ. And then there's some neat imagery in verse 14. It says we are not to let sin be our master. And that word master is from the same root word as the word Lord. We are not to let sin master us because Jesus is master. And you can only have how many masters does the Bible say? One. One master. Don't let sin be your master. Jesus is Lord. Let's follow him. But the choice we make to be a Christian is to give our life to Jesus as Lord. We are to follow him and not the passions of this world or of our bodies. We follow him. Sin has no part in this new life. So let's not offer ourselves to sin. Let's offer ourselves to God. Because Christ is alive, we have new life. I want to conclude with this. If you gave your life to Jesus, you have a new life to live. And think about how we're supposed to give our life to Jesus. We're supposed to recognize that we are sinners, that we need to be saved by him. But then also we're supposed to recognize that we should follow him. Now I want you to picture somebody saying this to Jesus. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I love that idea of heaven and forgiveness and salvation. I'll take that. But I don't want to follow you. Did that person receive Jesus? No. Not at all. You cannot receive Jesus and at the same time say, I will not follow you. you. You don't come to Christ that way. And I think what this passage is saying is, if you don't come to Christ that way, then don't live that way. It's not like you can say, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you for a while, but you know, after a few years, I'm going to start doing it my own. Nope. If he's Lord, he is always Lord. And he is Lord, by the way. So continue to live your life with Jesus Christ as Lord. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But again, too often we spend our way, even in this new life that we want to live, we still live according to the old ways sometimes. And that's where we just need to to be vigilant about this, to keep talking to God, to consider ourselves dead to sin. So again, the application points, the, the same two that I gave you before, one, consider yourself dead to sin. Talk to God and say, God, is there any sin that you just want to root out of my life? God, show me my sin. And if God shows you your sin, what do you do? You repent of it. You tell him you're sorry. You ask him for the strength to to walk in the right direction, in the right ways. But don't hide it from God. There's no life in that. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you through this process. And then, don't just consider yourself dead to sin, but also consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. Seek him. Get to know what he wants. Get to know what pleases him. Live your life according to his ways and you will find that there is life there. Now, we don't have the power to do that on our own. But praise the Lord, God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, directed by God, that he will show us the life that we are to live. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all are working together in our lives to help us live the life that he wants us to live, to strengthen us, 
for that life. So keep seeking God. Keep your eyes on Christ. Offer your body to Him. Put yourself in a place to grow in your faith. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for new life. And how wonderful that sounds, especially when we can contrast it with the old way of life that led to death. So God, we come before you right now looking at sin and death, but also looking at, at life. And God, we want to live for you. I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we would keep our eyes on Christ, that we would follow you, God, and that you would strengthen us to live the new lives that you have for us. So God, once again, we praise you for new life in Christ. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.